This is Subject Matter, the show for creators who want to grow with audio. I'm Ben Bradbury. How do you nail a partnership with a brand? How do you nail a partnership with a creative or an ambassador? And what does it take to systematize a personalized creative approach at scale across a big campaign? Well, in today's episode, we have the answer to all of those questions and more, thanks to my guest, Grace Murray, who is VP of Strategy of Four. Four's a really interesting company. They work with what they call ambassadors. Ambassador marketing is like the next evolution of influencer marketing. And heading up their strategy team, Grace's job is to come up with the questions that her clients just don't know how to think and find the areas that they don't know how to reach so they can create really memorable campaigns for their audiences. In this episode, we get into how Grace and Four structure their briefs to creators and ambassadors and help them create these really personalized touch points when working with brands. So if you're interested in working with a brand, this is gonna be a masterclass in helping you nail that. We also look at things from the brand's perspective. How do you communicate with ambassadors? What's the best way to set expectations? And how can you navigate this tricky balance of giving someone creative freedom versus not giving them a brief at all? And then we're gonna dig into one of my favorite sections, which was on strategy. Grace has this amazing line, which is it's better to have the wrong solution to the right problem than the right solution to the wrong problem. And we're going to get into how Grace thinks about problem solving, how she approaches strategy, and some of the questions that you can ask to think more strategically as a creator, as an operator, or as someone who's building a really killer media business. This is a great episode. I hope you enjoy. And please let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you on Twitter, over email. You know where to find me. Enjoy. Grace, welcome to Subject Matter. I've been really excited for this interview for a few weeks. I'm glad that we got it on the calendar and pumped to chat. Pumped to chat to you, Ben. Thanks again for having me. For sure. I thought we could start with this framework that you shared the last time we spoke, which is something that you use to motivate creative talent when you're working with ambassadors of four. And this framework has three parts, which is you motivate them through connectivity, clarity, and community. Can you explain this framework and how that shows up in your work? Absolutely. Well, I think this framework actually came from hearing both sides of the coin quite frequently and repetitiously from both the brand side and the talent side or the creator side. And that was, you know, I feel like I'm playing therapist a lot of the time in this industry, but from the brands we were hearing, oh, you know, you feel like the creator maybe phoned it in a little bit on this or it really wasn't hitting what we were looking for, or you know, maybe could we have them take another pass at it? It's feeling a little bit like they haven't put a whole lot of thought into it. And then from the creator side, we were hearing a lot of, how did that campaign go? Were they happy? Did it seem okay? Like, I'd love any feedback. I'd love to better understand how I could work with them again. And it really started to kind of come to light that So many brands are briefing in creators from this place of just handing something over and really not giving the connective tissue that's needed in order to be able to do a good job. And we also started seeing some common threads in the programs that were really running effectively and producing the best work that we had seen come out of four. And in those programs, you really could see that the creators felt connected to it and they felt connected to the brand. They also felt connected to the other creators who are a part of the program. And so we started to see, okay, there are key components here. One part of it is community, as you referenced. So 
understanding who are my peers in this thing? Are there peers in this thing? Or am I really operating as a singular creative? Can I bounce ideas off them? Can I see what their work looks like to the same brief? That kind of comparing and contrasting sometimes can be a positive thing and just general shared learnings to be able to all benefit from the answers to questions that one individual may have and another may not think to ask. So that's the one piece. Next piece I referenced is clarity. So it seems pretty simple of, you know, needing to be clear on what a good job looks like in order to be able to do a good job. But sometimes, somehow that step is kind of skipped when briefing creatives. And so being super clear on how your work fits into the broader picture and how you can be successful is incredibly important in producing really, really great work. And creativity, pretty central to a creator's job and role but sometimes depending on the level of structure to the brief the level of information that's provided the level of specificity the creativity can be really drained out of it and it can be provided in a pretty transactional lackluster way that does just feel like something on the to-do list versus something that really sparks imagination or thought so we've really seen that those three components is what ultimately gets us to the best work in ambassador marketing it's really interesting how a lot of the value that you drive here comes from aligning communication to make sure that what you're saying is what they're hearing. So for you wanting to deliver the best experience for your clients and being campaign driven, you have one agenda and that agenda shows up very differently for the ambassador. And it's interesting to me hearing how essentially what you're describing here with this clarity and connectivity is a form of risk mitigation so that you don't go down these two parallel tracks with communicating. Mm -hmm. And then two months, three months into the project, you have this big critical decision and the creative's like, well, hang on a minute, I thought we were doing this. And you're like, but I thought we were doing this. So you can just consistently kind of make sure you're saying, all right, are we going at the same pace? Do we have clarity? And are we ultimately pushing forward for that same creative agenda as well? Absolutely. And I'll say too, I think we've learned every lesson the hard way in terms of questions we haven't asked either the client or things that we haven't provided to the creator. And inevitably what results is work coming through that someone feels really good about. And then, you know, maybe an additional approval layer has been added in that we weren't aware of and they've just thrown a wrench but to be able to set things up from the beginning and kind of set those check-in moments of like, this is really where things need to be finalized. We need all of these pieces in place. Ultimately, again, just creates an environment where people can really have the time and space and ultimately information to be able to produce exactly what they need to produce. And it also seems like a big piece of this working effectively with an ambassador, with someone who has some kind of creative output, is empathy. Being able to put yourself in their shoes and understand that the way creatives work is very different to how operators work. I mean, you and me, we were just talking before hitting record around how we have tons of meetings on Fridays and our calendars are split (laughs) up into these kind of half an hour or 15 minute chunks, depending on how long the meeting is. Creatives aren't like that. They need one, two, three, four hours, maybe a full day to go out and do a photo shoot to write a newsletter to record a podcast whatever that is but it it takes this unit of time so i'm really interested how do you get to the place where you can empathize with an ambassador where you can kind of see things from their experience and then incorporate that into the way that you work with them oh absolutely i mean i think the first piece of it is exactly what you explained of us kind of sharing war stories about our calendars and me knowing that 
in the creative elements of my role, I do need some of that deep think time or some time that isn't chopped up into a million pieces. And I know that my brain fundamentally works in a different way when I do have that time and space to be able to get into that gear. So I think that's the first piece of it. But as far as it relates to influencers or ambassadors, you know, I'm not an influencer. (laughs) So that empathy, I think, has started with a lot of conversations with those individuals indirectly and hearing from them that exact scenario of, you know, oh, well, these clients, you know, they're sending emails 10 times, they're changing things, they're doing this, they're doing that while I'm there trying to shoot it. But even more kind of grant, those were known issues for me. Those are some of the things that I have anticipated. But throughout my time at Four and throughout the evolution of this space, this industry, I've heard those kind of pain points and struggles evolve and change as well. A recent conversation I had was with a content creator named Vic. She's amazing. We've worked with her for years. And one of the things that she was expressing was how frustrating it is that there are, she's been in this space now for nearly a decade and there are so many new marketing professionals entering it who are at a kind of coordinator or junior level who are tasked with managing the back and forth of these collaborations and ultimately their level of experience is really often out of step with the level of experience of the creator which is a really interesting dynamic at play and I think a pretty new one given the industry has exploded so much in the past couple of years. Totally. And so I think it's really important to be able to maintain some of those direct relationships and have those conversations because there are you know problems and pain points that have existed since I started doing this a decade ago and then there are new problems and pain points that are evolving as the sands of the space are changing that are really hard to understand if you just don't have the conversations with the people that it's impacting. So I think that's a kind of key piece of it. Um, I'd love to dig into this a little bit more. So you mentioned with Vic that she's experiencing this challenge where the people on her team are less creatively experienced than she is as an ambassador. Do you have any advice for people who are working in these kind of creative roles, either working with creatives or working with ambassadors, creators, where perhaps there might be a mismatch in ability, how you would think about navigating that? Absolutely. And I should clarify too. So the mismatch, I think, for Vic is not even as it relates to her team, but as it relates to the team on the brand side, who are the ones navigating and managing this collaboration. Got you. And so for her, I mean, she had some really great call outs and it does sound a little laborious and unfortunately maybe shouldn't fall on the creator. But I think a lot of it is that back briefing to the individual that you're speaking to. We do a lot of this with our clients of, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a red flag if I hear, oh, we just want to see what they want to create and really minimal information. That's when my brain immediately goes into back briefing gear of like, okay, I know that I'm now going to have to do a little bit of this, pulling this out of you, but asking questions like, okay, what would be, you know, what would be the ideal scenario to come out of this work? What would be the worst case scenario? What internally gets your team excited when they see content come through from a creator? How is this going to be measured? And sometimes I think language that can make the person on the other end feel as though this isn't about them necessarily being inept in their role, though potentially it could use a little bit more of a senior hand. It's more about positioning yourself as an expert and as someone who is really there to be delivering to a standard that perhaps they weren't even 
considering could be met. So I think laying up some of those questions, teasing it out of them a bit, but ultimately towing that line a little bit between avoiding a scenario where it's sounding like, well, you haven't given me anything that I need at all and more from a place of I want to make sure I'm getting the exact output that you're looking for. I'd love to work with your team long term. Setting that intention that that's the why behind your questions and moving forward from there. I think there's also something really powerful to underscore for creatives who are listening, who want to work with brands, which is to not underestimate the subject matter expertise that you have that most of the world doesn't. I used to think about this with myself and I was a copywriter originally and I would give people these writing tips and they're like, oh, wow, you really know what you're doing here. And I'm like, no, this is just easy. And then it clicked (laughs) a few years later. I'm like, oh, not everyone finds it easy. This is the thing that I find easy that the rest of the world or a lot of people find difficult at least. And so being able to articulate questions that maps to that expertise really does show that you are that subject matter expert and then makes people take you a lot more seriously. And the the cool part about that, I think, is that it comes really intuitively. Like for you, talking about strategy, talking about how you solve problems, you do this day in, day out. But when I hear that, I'm like, wow, she's clearly an industry expert at that thing. And so I think creatives can do the exact same thing when they're working with sponsors. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And that's something that I've learned over the last few years as well of you know as we've scaled our team and I've learned so much of what I do now you know by just jumping into the deep end and doing and seeing what works and what doesn't and I think the same can be said for so many creators and creatives in that if you're someone who's able to be operating at a professional level creatively inherently is something that comes naturally to you that you've probably always had You've always been a little stronger than maybe even your elementary school classmates in being able to come up with ideas or pull something together or, and, you know, just because something comes naturally to you doesn't mean that it's obvious. And in fact, it often is quite the opposite. But I think for people who aren't that way inclined, something that I've learned is that even it can be difficult to then articulate how you arrived at a potential solution or how you arrived at an idea or whatever it might be but even verbalizing your thought process can be helpful to someone who isn't wired the way that you are and it could seem non-linear or nonsensical and I think that's also totally okay that also brings some visibility to another type of brain another type of person to see like oh wow Mm. the way that you think or the way that you operate is just so interesting and so different to the way that I operate But without actually verbalizing it, people are just kind of left like, how do you work? How do I get the best thing out of you? Like, how is this brain of yours operating, you know? Totally. So let's dig into that. And I think this is a great opportunity to kind of give the audience a little insight into the work that you're doing with Ambassadors at Four. If I'm an ambassador and I'm interested in working with one of your clients at four, and it's your first interaction where you're really digging into strategy with said ambassador, and you're looking to kind of demonstrate how your process is going to work and also sell yourself a bit, because you you mentioned earlier, you need to show that you can achieve standards that they didn't even think could be met. How would you approach that interaction with the ambassador? Absolutely. I mean, I think a big piece for me in communicating with our influencers, ambassadors, content creators is creating that sense that, you know, we are here to partner with them. We're here to give them what they need. We are here to 
set up an environment through which they can deliver their best work, but also simultaneously set that expectation that this is still often a very high value contract. There's a lot of expectation. There is a flow on effect. If the wheels fall off or if something comes through late, you know, if there's a hundred people on a program, which is rarer and rarer for us these days, you know, in the way that we set any of our programs up, we want to make sure that we do provide that balance of excitement, motivation, you know, creative visibility, brand visibility, for visibility, community that we spoke to before of seeing who else is on the program. But we also do want to set them up for success, part of which is expectation management and letting them know what the process is going to look like from here. So for us, you know, I think it's always a bit of a dance to be able to achieve those two things at once. But I think the key piece of it is being upfront in the type of client that we're working with, in the type of program that this is, in why they have been chosen, why they have been selected. Again, I think that's a key piece that is often skipped or brushed over. It's really motivating to understand how and why it came to be that you were selected for this program and why we think you are a fit for this specific brand. And even that, I think, sets the stage for a great partnership to show oh, I haven't just been plucked out of nowhere here. There's already been a lot of thought and time and energy that's gone into this. I really want to make sure that I am meeting an expectation that has been kind of being developed behind the scenes. So it's, again, a bit of a dance. Sometimes we have clients who want things to be a lot more rooted in the creative aspect and we know that they're pretty simple to work with. We know that they typically approve content that we you know, don't have to play um, defense as they're trying to rewrite captions and all those sorts of things. But we do have other clients who have, you know, multiple layers of approval, are more of a traditional corporation, have more strict brand safety guidelines. And so for us, it is just about being clear about that, not even just in the kickoff and briefing, but being clear about that during the contracting process and being clear about that in the actual outreach to say, hey, here's this opportunity, here's what it's going to involve here's why we selected you. We would love to talk about rates. We'd love to talk about timings. So really even getting ahead of all of that before you kind of lock someone in and then on a briefing call, they're met with a bit of a feeling of a of bait and switch of like, <laughs> I thought this was going to be fun. And now it seems like it's going to be a part-time job. Mm. And there's some, there are at this point, some ambassador programs that are almost like a part-time job that are, you know, the most significant programs. And it really does take away bandwidth from you that could be placed elsewhere. So it's important for us to be able to put that out there before we ultimately lock people in. Yeah, and setting those expectations show that you really value their time as well. Because that to me is the most valuable resource for creative talent is the less time that they have to spend on these operational tasks and thinking through hard challenges, the more time they have to do what they're best at, which is creating, sharing their ideas, getting in front of their audience. And so I think it's kind of how I think about it with Workweek, at least, is this kind of two-sided balance where I want to be the operational partner. So like we were talking, we've heard him off mic a few times today, Raul, our audio editor, he's the brains behind a lot of these podcasts. And he's the reason that our creators can edit their shows so smoothly, but also coming to them with strategic recommendations and saying, hey, here's a format that we think would work really well for you. Here's a live event style that we think would crush. Here's why we think a cohort-based course would be great for you with this kind of topic. And then they can push back and say, hey, no, I'm not sure about this, or I think this would be great. But 
I think it's this balance of operation and strategy that really allows kind of effective partnership with creative talent and ambassadors. Absolutely. And that can be said in any creative industry, right? Where like you can't make a film without an incredible production crew. You can't make a you mm-hmm. know, photo shoot without a call sheet and an operations team. Like you really can't do any of those things without the right balance of operation behind the creative. And I think that comes back to your question before about how can a creator or a creative communicate with someone on the other end who maybe is a little bit out of step with their level of experience or their level of creativity. I think it's also sometimes understanding or working to understand if and where you can what type of person it is on the other end of the line, um, how much experience they do have or what type of experience they have and understanding ultimately what they're trying to achieve because someone on the other end of the email chain is never really doing or meeting the same objective that you are. They're just a different kind of cog in the overall machine. So I think that's super important. And, you know, we spoke a little bit in a previous conversation that we have but about this concept as well of it's one thing to give someone creative freedom, but it's another thing to just not brief them at all or not be able to give them the rigor that they need at all and to kind of leave things too open-ended. And I think that speaks to when there is a little bit of a lack of expectation setting or a lack of forward planning and getting all of the stakeholders that you need in place before you go to the creative to kind of give them that fence to let them play within. Mm. There's a lot that needs to go into the fence building in the upfront to make sure that you're not trying to then retroactively do it while they're creating. Totally. Yeah, let's go a level deeper on that because I I think this analogy of kind of fence building or setting the rules of the game is a really good analogy for thinking about how you deliver an effective brief. So when you're working with ambassadors and you've got this tricky balance to strike of on the one hand, I want to support you with these are the the things that we need from the campaign. But on the other hand, I don't want you to feel like we're putting handcuffs on your creativity. What are the variables that you articulate to them that you think sets them most up for success? Definitely. Yeah, we're big on the build a fence and let them play analogy at four. (laughs) You know, I think a big piece of building the fence effectively is taking key messages from the brand and instead of just placing them into the brief and putting that onus back on the creator to figure out a way of making them feel authentic, to instead take an additional step and convert them into more creative prompts. So an example I've shared a lot in the past or the most kind of explicit one to me is that, you know, we did some work with Headspace a while back and some of the first campaigns that we ran we stood up pretty quickly. We were taking their high-level information about what Headspace is, why it benefits you. We had a strategy in place of, okay, we want to work with entrepreneurs and athletes and we want you know, this type of an archetype of person who could really use some meditation. <laughs> and we're going to give these key messages to them about what Headspace is, what it does, and we're going to allow them to put their own spin on it in whatever way they want to. And, you know, those key messages are essentially, even if you're someone who has never tried meditation, you might like Headspace because it makes it really digestible and easy. If you struggle with sleep, if you struggle with, you know, work focus, there's different two to five minute meditations. So many different things that you can kind of jump off and play off. But inevitably, you know, we built a fence that was just kind of too 
too vague in a sense or just too transactional of saying, here are the key messages, you're the creator, go for it, that's it, that's you. And what we got back was content that basically had, you know, hey, everybody, you know that I'm not someone who has meditated before, but I'm really excited to try out Headspace because they have this focus meditation and they have this sleep meditation and it's only two to five minutes. So it was basically just adding a little, hey, guys, and swipe up, like bookending it either side. And I actually think that isn't the result of the creator phoning it in. I think that's the result of an industry where there's so much reshooting, so many edits, so such a kind of tight hold from the brands of saying, you didn't follow the brief, you need to do it again. So now if the brief say these things, these are your key messages, often that's what people are just going to say verbatim. So instead of doing that, instead of just taking the key messages and giving them to the creator and saying, hey, make it your own, make it authentic, we try to translate them into prompts that are a little bit more personal that might say something like, you know, headspace is really great if you're experiencing stress and anxiety. Could you potentially talk about something that you've found stressful or anxiety inducing recently that could lead you into the benefits of this product? Or have you had any skepticism about meditation in the past? If you have, could you speak to that and where you think that comes from? We ultimately need you to try Headspace for at least 30 days in order to be able to speak to this authentically. We'd love for you to talk about a specific meditation that you really enjoyed and why you enjoyed it and when in your day you utilized it. So we kind of give some optionality, but we also often explicitly say, try to avoid platitudes, try to avoid just going straight into these key messages. And we want to give your audience the entertainment, education or inspiration they came to you for. So here's how we want you to approach it. Here's how we're going to measure it. Also, now that you know how we're measuring it and what we need you to say, if you think there's anything wrong with this brief, please let us know. (laughs) And I think even ending with that seat at the table to say, you have the clarity, you know what the KPI is, you have the messages and how we're hoping that, and the prompts of how we want you to hit them. But ultimately, if there's something that's out of step with you and your audience and how you're thinking about this and your experience with the product, tell us. And we'll take that back to the brand because we're not always right. And there's so much variability in working with individual creators that you ultimately need their buy-in as well. I love this. I can just imagine the difference in an advert from someone who's just reading off benefits to when someone is actually speaking to their own personal experience. And it reminds me of one of the guidelines that one of our creators, Nick Sharma, gave around doing effective campaigns with brands. And he said, the first thing is you need to love the product. Mm -hmm. The ambassador you work with has to be really fired up about it. And so that's why when you said, you've got to have used Headspace for 30 days so you can speak to some of those experiences. It's actually authentic. And I think of, there's this podcast I like, Modern Wisdom with Chris Williamson. I think he does a really good job of promoting products authentically. And you can just tell that he lives and breathes all of the fitness, life optimization, health-based products that he promotes. And it makes me want to buy them. It sells them because he's attached to them. So I think it goes to show that you can systematize personalization at scale across Mm -hmm. a campaign, provided you ask the right questions. Exactly. Provided you ask the right questions and provided you value that and understand that there is a difference to the consumer of someone who is just spouting some benefits, as you said, versus someone who has their own experience, who has their own anecdotes or own perspective or spin or way of integrating it. 
something we say a lot at four is don't spend good money on fake love. And I think that that is so spot on about so much that goes wrong in influencer marketing and where so much money is wasted is just whether it's not having a strategy to begin with, picking the people not based on existing brand love, or if the existing brand love isn't there, you know, there's products, of course, that we have that are a drugstore product that maybe are a little tougher sell to have someone like ruthlessly passionate about. But there are ways that we can, there's a, there are ways in and there are ways that we can make them love the partnership and through that partnership that they can have more enthusiasm for the brand and that they can feel those benefits of the brand directly. So that's one of our ambassador rules at Four is that you do have to use the product. You do have to be able to speak to it from your own experience and that you should not be able to create the content just based on the brief you receive. The brief should prompt you into a place where you have to use it in order to be able to deliver effective content. I like that. Yeah, you incentivize the behavior first and then you can kind of speak to that. Now, I touched on a little bit the importance of asking the right questions. And I think we had an amazing pre-call before this interview, but the thing that you said to me, the line, which I'm going to read out now for everyone, is that strategy is more problem solving than creative. And the most important part of that is deeply understanding the problem because it's better to have the wrong solution to the right problem than the right solution to the wrong problem. So let's get into how you approach strategy, Grace, and how you approach understanding the right problem. How do you think about this in your work day to day? I think about this all the time and in every way. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you know, I, solving the wrong problem is just the biggest soul suck. It's so ineffective. It's such a time waste a waste of resources whether it's for a client or internally if we're all geared or a lot of people are just geared in this kind of modern work environment to an immediate next step out of a meeting and I think often that is incredibly valuable because you don't want people just swirling around especially creative people but there does also need to be place that time and space to be able to dig into are we thinking about this in the right way are we asking the right questions are we completely going down a wrong path here to solve, as you said, the wrong problem and coming up with a grade A incredible solution, but ultimately to a problem that doesn't get to the root of what we actually need to be doing. So as I think about brand work or client work, I think the first step that I often take is taking a look at the information that we've been provided by the brand and getting a bit of a sense of whether that's on a call or via email and getting a sense of picking up on cues of how deeply they understand the problem or how clear they are on the problem as well or if they're just providing what they have at a pretty high level and saying we need an influencer campaign awareness, you know, <laughs> this is what we need. So a big piece of it is the first step kind of taking those cues and saying like, where are you at in terms of what you're trying to do here? Are you just doing it because someone above you is asking you to do it? Or are you doing it because you have an objective that you're really trying to meet? And both are okay. You know, like there's, if someone's boss is asking them to reach out to a bunch of ambassador or influencer companies to get a proposal, we want to participate in that. We don't want to say, you know, hey, you haven't given us enough information, so we're not even going to try and solve your problems here. But my next step from there is to tease a little bit more out of them or as much as we can to ask thoughtful questions. And a big part of asking thoughtful questions is to show that you've already thought about it. 
So instead of just saying something like, what is your goal here? Which is a fair enough question, but again, effectively teasing things out of people sometimes takes a little bit more. So it could even be leading it in with something else of, you know, I saw on social that your brand right now is really focused on a pivot into more ready to wear instead of what you've traditionally done, which is X. Could you walk me through, is that something that you're focused on right now? Is that what this campaign is laddering up into? Any additional color or context there would be fantastic. To again, not create a scenario where the other person on the other end is just kind of saying, either giving a one word answer or feeling like they're just being met with a list of questions and no additional thought. It's a similar concept to how we're briefing creatives of like, if you're starting a question with something that prompts them into an answer, Even if the answer is, I'm not sure yet, that's helpful in understanding like, okay, maybe some of the problem here is as well that they're not really sure of what we're trying to do. So much of it is asking questions and asking questions thoughtfully. It's also getting a read on whether this person is the right person to be answering these questions and whether or not they have the information at hand to be able to answer those questions. If they can't, and even when they can, digging into our own research to get a little bit of a lay of the land to see if they've told us who their target consumer is, like digging into who that person is. But beyond consumer research stats and, you know, the really deep, more industry strategy stuff, just generally there's so much that you can learn from jumping onto a brand's Instagram account, TikTok account, reading press that's available on them online, understanding whatever we can that's out there, we can already connect a lot of dots that the person briefing us might not have the bandwidth or capacity to be able to do. So that's one piece of it. I really love digging into comments on social too, general sentiment, what people are saying about a brand or a product organically, digging into Reddit, digging into online community forums. And a big piece for me is having conversations with people in my life about it and always remembering that I might not be talking to the target consumer that we're targeting here, but it could spark thought into another place to look or another way to think about it. And I think there's a lot of power in just having conversations about connotations that you have with a brand or a product or a product category, experiences that you have with a product or brand or category to really be able to, you know, get to the root of it. We actually just had a, um, a really fun campaign with Dove actually And their brief was centered around their dry sprays, so a deodorant. And if you think about sponsored content for a deodorant, like it's a pretty, it can be a pretty tough thing to land really well. Sure. (laughs) But, you know, we could have dug into all, they gave us an incredible wealth of consumer information. They were targeting Gen Z. But ultimately, the insight that drove the actual idea came from a conversation internally and just a casual little brainstorm that started from a place of me saying, you know, armpits, what do we think? Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's a thoughtful question right there for the record. Exactly. That's that's a thoughtful (laughs) question. But to really like open up the floor to the team to just create an environment where we could start talking about it in a way that was fun and natural because while their problem was we need consumers to go from a stick deodorant to a spray, our problem was it's going to be really tough to be able to do this naturally so we need to be able to talk about 
how to find a way in with our audience because no matter what, otherwise it's just going to fall flat. So we need the problem here is the authenticity gap. And mm. so I think like having conversations about and just throwing things around is often a really great way to get to the right problem because and creating an environment where you can question whether we're approaching this in the right way or if we can just have a little bit more of a winding conversation about it. I think that can be helpful in understanding if you're answering the right problem because it creates a, an environment where you can say, I don't really think that's it. I think it's going to be harder to do this thing. Yeah. And it avoids that reality of putting loads of resource behind a campaign and then that campaign doesn't hit and you find yourself wondering why. I think what we're really talking about here as well is changing the narrative. And so using that Dove example, making the switch from stick to spray or roll on to spray versus do we actually have the authenticity to connect with our audience on this new product? That's a completely different conversation. It's a completely different narrative around the product. And what's really interesting to me there is you're actually changing the way the consumers are going to talk about your product and share it with their friends. And that's really the kind of, I think, leverage point with this as a brand or with ambassadors working with brands is that you get to build your own narrative but where the ripple effect really comes in is when the audience starts talking about that narrative to their friends to people in your community and you'll really know from the way that people start talking about your product and that's why grace i love your idea of going into reddit forums going to the corners of the internet where people are talking about these products getting the real sentiment analysis and then saying okay this is the end conversation this is the product of our narrative and now if we want to change change it, here's what we're going to do. Exactly. You articulated it much more beautifully than I did, Ben. That was great. Um, <laughs> but I think too that, you know, digging into sentiment, Reddit forums, all those sorts of things, it does unearth a lot and makes marketers, strategists, brands, forces you to be more self-aware about who you are as a brand because I think a trap that a lot of brands and marketers fall into is that everyone kind of starts, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, in terms of if you're working in-house at a brand, you have read all the brand DNA decks, you know what you stand for, you understand these are your values, this is your core value prop, here's how we want to position ourselves to the market. And sometimes that accidentally then becomes, oh, this is who we are as a brand and therefore these are what our problems are or what our opportunities are and how we're going to solve them. Mm. But in really like reading what audiences and consumers are saying, it does force brands to be more self-aware and for us to say like, okay, again, are we solving the right problem? Are we understanding our consumer? Are we clear on where we're at right now so we can figure out where we want to go? Because if we think we're further along than we are, again, we're going to be solving the wrong problem. We're going to be seizing an opportunity that might not be there yet that we have to build toward. And so I think the best way of doing that is trying to get a direct line of communication from the audience. And that's why I really like the idea of ambassadors and creative talent using Jeff Bezos's framework from Amazon of it always being day one. This idea of always being day one is that you're always willing to press the reset button on any initiative. And so Amazon's teams, they have the two pizza rule where you have to be able to share two pizzas between the teams. So basically no more than four people at any one time. And 
if you have that mindset of being this nimble team that's ready to experiment and fail, you're not attached to these preconceived ideas. And why I say that's really important for brands is because if you are working with a brand that's been established for decades or even centuries, like a real legacy entrenched brand, you can bet that to a degree, some of those people are going to be proud of the history that brand has built and proud of the identity that they have. And unfortunately, sometimes that can hold us back from really understanding an audience that's moving incredibly quickly. I mean, you know how quick media is moving these days and you have to keep your finger on the pulse. And so saying to yourself, it's always day one where we are prepared to experiment, we're prepared to fail and test helps you stay nimble and ultimately just stay more in touch with reality. A hundred percent. And I think that is completely true. And a brand having a heritage and an existing market position and all of these incredible stories and threads that we can pull through or tweak or reinvent or whatever, those two things can be true at the exact same time. And I think sometimes that there is this sense of like, oh no, this is who we are and this is who we're always going to be. Or let's kind of go in a completely different direction or let's try something really new and really innovative but I think the two things can comfortably coexist if there is a curiosity and a commitment to curiosity about the audience that your product is serving and a continuous investigation into who that audience is, what they care about, and how your brand or product can specifically make sense for them. I love this idea of a continued having a continued curiosity for the way you can serve audiences and the way that your product can benefit them too, because you always have something to learn. All right, Grace. Well, let's go into our third and final segment for today. It's a quick form one. It's our lightning round. So I'm going to just say a question <laughs> and you're going to share the first thing that comes to your head. couple sentences will keep it nice and quick and easy. Does that sound good? That sounds great. All right. So first question, what is one app that you use on your computer practically every day? What's like a really essential part of your workflow for being productive? We have a new one, which mm. is pitch.com, which I feel like I'm actually an ambassador for myself at this point. <laughs> I feel like I need to get in touch with their team and talk to them about their team. Hey, you um, need an ambassador? I got you. Yeah. Hey, do you need an ambassador? We... So we do decks all day and every day on our team and we used to use Keynote but found that Keynote collaborative functions were kind of tough and a little finicky and if the fonts weren't properly reinstalled on a new employee's computer or whatever, it would just cause a nightmare. Then we pivoted to Google Slides but just found that the design really suffered. Pitch.com feels like living in a new house. I just love it. Our whole team is like, oh, my God. We've got all of this incredible, you can put wow. any person in on like day one of their job and it's so user-friendly that they will be able to figure it out with very little onboarding. Wow. Uh, it looks beautiful. It meets every need that we need internally and externally. I just love it. Very minimal file conversions, everything. This is also what I call conversational conversion, just pitching you on a product, um, <laughs> which is like our, another ambassador like approach to our briefing of like, how does it sound when you just pitch this to a friend and how do we reverse engineer that? Ooh, I like that. Well, I've got to say, you have just given me one action point on my agenda for my next production sync. This looks great. Okay, cool. Next question. 
This is very Grace specific. So for everyone who is not watching and is listening, Grace, you have a fantastic collection of vinyls behind you. I can see Kendrick Lamar's dam right there. <laughs> Which one of those vinyls back there is a favorite? If you were going to play one of those records, what would you play? I love this question. I grew up in a house of records, so mm. it's a great question. One of my favorites that I love to play and is also speaks to a favorite documentary of mine is Rodriguez, Cold Fact. I don't know if you've seen the documentary Searching for Sugar Man. No. But, oh, you have to watch it. It is the most incredible documentary I've ever seen, a music documentary, and I won't ruin the punchline, but the reason I initially watched it was because years ago I worked in a tequila bar that played records and we had that record in there. And whenever we played it, there would be one person who would be like, oh, my God, you're playing Rodriguez. Have you seen Searching for Sugar Man? And I just kept thinking, what is everyone's obsession with this documentary? I have to see it. So I watched it with my dad and when it finished, we just stopped it and started it again. It's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, really incredible story about an artist from the 70s whose music was bootlegged over to South Africa. And again, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's unbelievable. And very like Bob Dylan-y. This is a saga. Yeah, it's amazing. You're getting me hype right now. Okay, I think I know what I'm watching <laughs> next. That's so cool. Um, right, Rodriguez, cold fact. I'm going to give it a lesson and uh, report back. Um, amazing. Final third question for you, Grace. This is a good one. When you're working... What is the most fun you have? What are the things you work on or the moments where you feel most alive? Oh, such a great question. One of my favourite parts of building out a strategy, like when we're working on a really big pitch or a really big, important, impactful strategy for one of our clients, often we our team works in a way that is kind of we talk, then we research we start to pull things together, but often the actual coming together of all of the pieces is a lot of like it's maximalism before it becomes anything else. So it's not like we start with a really clean document and then go into deck mode. We kind of start throwing things onto slides and, you know, oh, I had this thought about this thing. I'll just make a slide out of it and we'll put it all into one place mm-hmm. and then we'll regroup and we'll do this and we'll do it. And so it's kind of a pretty ugly duckling version of a deck in the beginning phases. And then we'll keep refining and in the inevitably in the kind of days leading up to when we have to send it over, I often find that in our final kind of regroup meeting, we're all sitting there like, oh, this, there's something about this that's wrong or something about this that's wrong. And then someone just knows like, oh, if we just move this piece here or like these two slides are actually convoluting what we're trying to say, we just need to take them away. Or, oh, this framing is wrong and we just need to change that exact sentence. I love those moments where it's like it's right on the tip of your tongue and it's right on the tip of everyone's tongue and you've all been talking about it for Mm. a week or two weeks and then and there's just something about it that is tripping everyone up and then someone kind of says what if we move this here or what if we do that or what if we 
shift this around and then everyone's like, yeah, oh, all right, now that. we're ready. We now, did we, it. now it makes sense. Yeah, it's like the final puzzle piece is really, really fun. Yeah, when you see things slot into place and it just it just feels right. It reminds me of um, an artist I like, Robert Rauschenberg. He has this piece, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a goat standing, a stuffed goat standing on a paint canvas with a tire over the top of it. It's as weird as it sounds. And the story of this piece is that he ended up moving the painted canvas and the goat about 15 times. And he put the mm -hmm. canvas behind the goat and then he put the goat to the side and then he put it here. And then in his words, when he's describing this, he said, I just put the goat in the middle of the canvas and everything felt just right. And for him, it was like <laughs> that puzzle piece clicked and that's the art. And I think there's something beautiful about doing that in a team where you're like, there's some kind of creative product as well. Grace, this has been so, so much fun. Thank you for making the time. If people want to follow you, they want to keep up with your ideas online, where can they find you? Thank you, Ben, for having me. It was so much fun as well. Yeah, so if everyone wants to follow along, Grace Murray on Instagram, at Grace Murray, the same on Twitter. I'm obviously on LinkedIn. Now that Twitter's going through all it's going through, we're, we're all on, on <laughs> LinkedIn chatting and in business, um, in business social media over there. But also more information on four at four.co, F-O-H-R.co. Pretty incredible company to be an early stage employee of and very proud to have been there for as long as I have. So thank you, Ben, for inviting me and great to see you. Amazing. Talk soon, Grace. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode and any ideas you've got for future content. You can email me directly at ben at workweek.com. To keep up to date with the very latest content, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend who might find it useful? I'll see you next time. <laughs>